It's good to see you again this week. My name's Steve. I'm one of the pastors here. And um, hopefully, second week here at our new home, uh, you're starting to settle, settle in and feel uh, settled here. I, um, it's a little bit colder this week. I'm conscious of that. Um, just put a coat on. Um, last week, we began a new series, which we're going to continue. Um, looking at this um, concept of what it means for us to care for the soul. And, um, and, and, and so we've just been thinking, what, what does it mean? You know, often we, we consider lots of things that we want to take care of and lots of things that we care about the well-being of, but the soul is probably something that we, we often neglect uh, and give uh, attention to. So... Uh, we just thought at the start of a new year, let's think about what it means to to care for the soul. And so last week, we asked a really important question, what is the soul? What is the soul? Dallas Willard, who is um, one, of the, one of the authors that we've been drawing from in this series, he says this, he says, what's running your life at any given moment is your soul. It's not external circumstances or your thoughts or your intentions, or even your feelings, but your soul. Your soul is that aspect of your whole being that correlates, integrates, and enlivens everything going on in the various dimensions of the self. The soul is the life center of a human being. You see, the soul is what makes you, you, okay? And it's what makes it me, me. And, and, and so last week, we, we looked at this helpful diagram. I thought it was helpful. Maybe you thought it was rubbish. But we looked at this helpful diagram of, of how the ancient world would often view, view the soul. And um, we said it's kind of a bit like the, the anatomy of personhood. It's, it's kind of how we're, it's how we're made up. It's, and so we have these, these circles that look a little bit like a dartboard. And, um, and so the first circle we see is our will. And uh, that is at the core of who we are. It's, it's our ability to choose. It's, it's our ability to make choices which distinguishes us from a, a lot of the rest of creation. It's, it's kind of what makes us human beings. And in the scripture, when it addresses the will, it often refers to things like the heart or the spirit of a person. It's talking about the same thing. This thing that, that makes it the very core of, of who we are. And then the second circle uh, is, is, the, is the mind. And, and the mind is, is how we convey our thoughts, but also our feelings. Okay, And we, we don't really separate those things. Some of us might like to think that we do, but we don't. Our feelings and our emotions are attached to all that stuff together. So our memories, our, our conscious, the things that we value and, and why we value them, they're all in this area of the mind. What we experience and the emotions we felt when we experienced it, whether it was guilt or joy, they're all part of this thing we call the mind. And as we said last week, that the mind is not always reliable, is it? Our mind can lie to us. Uh, our mind can cause us to perceive things that aren't true. Uh, and, 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 so, and so it, it can be unhelpful. 
And then the, the next circle was the body. And this is where appetites, I've put put a wrong word in my notes, Uh, (laughs) and habits happen. Okay, it's it's in the body. Now, the body is is meant to be subject to the mind and the will, but it doesn't always pan out that way, does it? It doesn't always happen. Sometimes the body takes over. And when, and when the will and the mind become subject to, to the body, the desires of the body, that's where addictions take place, where we get into habits and ways of behaving with our bodies. And then the last circle was, was the soul. And this is this idea that the soul is the thing that integrates all those other parts together, that we're, we have a will, we have a mind, we have a body, but we're a single person. We're just, we're just one person, and it's, it's the soul that, that brings all that together. Dallas Willard, again, he says, the soul is the capacity to integrate all the parts into a single whole life. So everything that makes you you, those, those three things are, are brought together in this thing we call the soul. And so hopefully we all dismissed this idea last week that the soul is some sort of vaporous, ghostly apparition of you that lives on when you die. A bit like Daffy Duck when he gets done over by Alma Fudd. You know? um, and we can, we can sometimes view the soul that way. But the soul is ultimately what makes us us and combines together. We also looked at Mark 8 and Jesus says, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? And often we read that, don't we? We read it in a way that we think, you know, someone can have lots of material wealth, they can have lots of success, they can have lots of status, but it's not much good because they're going to go to hell. That's how we kind of read it. But actually, I think Jesus never intended it to be read that way. And I think actually he, he meant something far more uh, important, that he was, he was really describing a person who's living a disintegrated Life. He's describing a person whose soul is not integrated. And so it's kind of like we can have lots of good things, can't we? We can have lots of amazing things in our lives. We can gain so much, yet if it forfeits our soul, if we're still broken on the inside, it's actually worthless. It's actually worthless. It's not worth anything. And so a person can forfeit the soul, not at the point of death, but actually right now. As they're living their lives, they can forfeit the soul. You know, the reality is a lot of us, we spend a lot of time focusing on a lot of things. We give a lot of energy to a lot of things. I've got a neighbor who, um, come rain or shine, and... Um, he's literally out cleaning his car, like Hoover, you know, polishing, cleaning. He, he's there every week. I can guarantee it. I, I, I left my car in his drive. Um, uh, nothing happened. But um, he's, he's committed to the well-being of his car, really committed. He's even got one of those little pens that touch up the chips of paint off his bonnet, you know, um, but he's, he's really committed 
uh, to that. And we can all be the same, can't we, about stuff in our lives. I don't, I don't know what you are committed to, but we can all be committed to different things and the well-being of something in our lives. But we can do all that. We can be committed to lots of stuff, but we can neglect this thing we call the soul. And so we can give more attention to our back gardens or the advancement of our careers or whatever it is, but totally neglect this important thing we call the soul. And so we we live in an age, don't we, where looking really good on the outside is an important issue, but people are falling apart on the inside. And and so we hear people say things like, I'm, I'm falling apart at the seams. I'm, I feel like I'm breaking up. I feel like I'm cracking up. And what people are doing is they're describing a disintegrated soul. A, a, a soul that's not living in harmony as the, that circle was, <laughs> where, where, where the, the will and the mind and, and, and the body are, are, are living in this harmonious sort of unity. You see, we, when we have an integrated soul, we're, we're one with ourselves, with, with others, and ultimately with God. Um, and, and that's where we want to go. We want to live with integrated souls. Okay, if you've got a Bible, why don't you turn to Matthew 11. And we're just going to look at a few short verses. And I've got to speed up. So, Matthew eleven twenty eight. Jesus is speaking. He says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. So moving on from last week, you know, from asking what is a soul, we're, we're moving to this, this, this statement, this phrase that Jesus says, where he says, um, finding rest for your soul. You're going to find rest for your soul. Now, Jesus isn't just talking about getting a bit more sleep, okay? It's not just like, I'm going to get a cheeky nap in this afternoon, okay? <laughs> Which I love doing on a Sunday, but... Um, it's not. He's not. It's. It's. It's actually much, much more bigger than that. That he's, he's talking about. He's talking about having a real peace and a real harmony in our soul that goes beyond anything that we can manufacture. So, does anybody know what the initials REM stands for? See, I thought you'd all not know that. Damn. <laughs> But rapid eye movement, it's got nothing to do with Michael Stipe. Rapid eye movement is, is this stage in sleep that, that happens. It's characterized by your eyes moving rapidly. Um, so if you filmed yourself sleeping, you would see your eyes moving rapidly. And it it's probably happens at the point where you're in your deepest part of sleep. And so when Jesus says, I want to give you rest, he's saying, I want to give you REM rest. I want to give you real rest that, that you can't even imagine. I want to give you something that's, 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 that's going to make you feel so, so much more human again. 
Now, the, the, the Greek, uh, in, the, in the Greek here, when Jesus says, he says, come to me, all who are what? Weary. That's what he says. Come to me, all who are weary. Now, the Greek here um, is really a word that says, is basically saying, come to me, all who are living at a pace of life that produces exhaustion. Can anybody relate to that? Um, you know, anybody feel a little bit exhausted from time to time? And uh, we do live in a world, don't we, that pushes and pushes us to a place of exhaustion. We all experience that. Uh, how many of you have ever noticed when you're making small talk, maybe on a Sunday morning you say hi to someone, you say, how's your week been? I can guarantee 95% of you answered, it's been busy. Anybody you want to confess that they said that this morning? Uh, I, know, I know I probably have to about three people. It's, it's been busy. Or if you're at work and you're speaking to a colleague, you just say, how's your day going? And they say, oh, I'm just really tired. I'm just really tired. And, and that kind of seems to be the kind of perpetual kind of way that we, we live our lives. And the reality is 20th, 21st century life is about being busy, but also being in a perpetual state of tiredness. And as a result, we live at pace and we live in this state of hurry. Uh, and, and so much so that we, we even try and speed up things that we can't speed up. How many of you have like, you know, you've pressed the closed door on a lift, like repeatedly, because you have this illusion that you think the doors are going to close quicker? Anybody ever done that? They don't. They don't at all. But it's the most worn-out button on the lift, isn't it? You know, um, because everybody wants to, to, to press it. Or if you're in a supermarket and uh, you're at the checkout, and you kind of your brain's on overdrive. You're thinking, I've got six items. They've got twenty. She's really slow checkout person. I'll go down this aisle. I, I know I'm gonna, I'm gonna, and, and if you don't get, if you don't beat the person you was behind on the other one, you feel really, really robbed, don't you? <laughs> or if you're in your car and you're approaching traffic lights, you know, and there's a row of cars and you think, oh, that lane's empty. Yes, I got to the front of the traffic light queue. I'm ahead. And, and the reason why we operate like that is because we live in this perpetual state of hurry. We always want to be first. We always want to get things done. Time magazine in the 1960s, they, they published this article that went to Congress. And they basically were saying that um, technology that was developing from the 1960s onwards would actually change the way we did modern life. And their predictions were this. Because of the rapid advancement of technology, we're all going to work three-day weeks. We're all going to retire early. Because technology is going to help us just be more proficient. It's going to help us just handle things more and more. We won't need to worry. What they neglected was, was that technology just increased the pace in which we lived at. Technology just increased everything we did tenfold. You know, I remember my first smartphones before iPhone days. It was a BlackBerry. And uh, it wasn't very good. I don't think I ever got it working properly. But I just thought, wouldn't it be amazing if I'm just out, I can pick up an email. I, I actually loathe emails now. I, I hate them. In fact, I, I turn push off on my phone because I just don't want to read any more emails. 
So technology doesn't help us live a better pace. It just increases it. It just increases the pace that we live at. Willow Creek, which is a, a, a sort of like this massive church in the States, they did a survey of their church a few years ago. And they asked the question, they said, what is preventing you growing spiritually? And the number one answer from their people was, I'm too busy. I'm too busy. See, what are the, the cultural challenges that we face as people trying to pursue Jesus is that we live in this place of hurry. We live in this place where we're busy all the time, where we're, we're stressed out. And the problem is it often seems like a positive thing. Have you ever seen that? You know, that it's, it's actually positive that you're really stressed and hurried and you've got lots to do. And, and, and if, we're, if, we're, if we're honest, sometimes we like it. Because if we've got loads of people who want to contact us and there's people always wanting to meet with us, it kind of makes us feel like we're a bit more important than who we are. Um, that's if we're honest. Maybe, maybe I'm the only one who feels like that sometimes. One author says, if we want to live a wholehearted life, we have to become intentional about, about um, cultivating sleep and play and about um, letting go of exhaustion as a status symbol and productivity as our self-worth. Ouch. Dallas Willard says, the most important factor for spiritual growth is ruthlessly eliminating hurry from our life. And then John Ortberg, who um, some of you are reading his book at the moment, he says again and again, as we pursue spiritual life, we must do battle with hurry. For, me, for many of us, the great danger is not uh, that we will renounce our faith, is that we will become distracted and rushed and preoccupied, and that we will, we will sell, uh, settle for a mediocre version of faith. That we'll just skim our lives instead of actually living them. There's no shock to any of us, I'm sure, that we all live lives at pace and in hurry. So what does hurry do to those different components of personhood? Well, when it comes to the will... On a daily basis, we're bombarded with stuff, aren't we? Choices that we need to make. What clothes shall I wear that will impress that person? Or um, what, what should I do? What should I carry out that will be productive? Or what things should I commit myself to doing? Or what food should I eat? And so we become bombarded with loads of choices. And, and those choices make our wills weary, make our wills tired. The same goes for the mind. Our mind is bombarded with stuff, isn't it? Screen after screen trying to get our attention. I went to fill up with petrol the other day, and there's adverts on the handle of the petrol pump. <laughs> like, what's that about? Um, you know, but there's so much stuff trying to grab our attention. And so many of us go through life carrying this mental checklist. I've got to speak to this person. I've got to do this thing. I've got to pay this bill. 
Um, I've got to be in this place by this time. And, and, and so our minds become weary. And what about our bodies? We stay up late. We get up early, which is, this is my sin, I think. Um, and um, we, we top up on coffee in the morning. And then maybe a can of Red Bull in the afternoon. Uh, and then maybe a glass of wine in the evening just to kind of cope with everything. And then we just collapse in exhaustion. That's, that's kind of how we do life. And it's at that kind of pace of life that our bodies become weary too. And so what we do is we get fatigue of the soul. Our soul becomes fatigued. But not only does Jesus invite the weary, he also invites the burdened. He says, come to me, all who are weary and burdened. Who are the burdened? It could be those who grieve, those who are disappointed, those who are lonely. Maybe it's those who have worry or anxiety or stress, those in conflict, those with financial pressures, those with health problems. Whatever your burden is, Jesus' promises, I will give you rest. I'll give you rest. Then verse 29, Jesus says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. What might Jesus want to teach us? What is it that he might want to teach us that we don't always understand? And I think we have to go back to the beginning. We have to go back to the beginning of created order. God creates all things. And then on the sixth day, he creates what? He creates us, doesn't he? He creates humanity. He creates mankind. Then what happens on the seventh day? He rests. He rests. I mean, who gets a job and then the first day of your job is a day off? That's like a good deal, isn't it? <laughs> so you start a job, and the first day of your job is to have the day off. So God creates all things. He creates human beings. He gives human beings dominion over what he's created. And he says, okay, we're going to start the first day, and the first day is a day off. That's, that's a really good deal. Now, could it be that in, that in creation, the first thing that God wants us to make, make known to us is that he loves us, not, not because of what we do, but because of who we are. That he loves us not because of what we can achieve and how good-looking we are or, or how well-attended we are in certain social situations, but simply because of who we are. And so we see this rhythm that God installs into creation, six and one. You work for six, and you have one day of rest. Now, some of us never take a day off, and we call it being productive. Okay, that's what we call not having a day off. So we say, I'm being productive. But when we don't take a day off, we're working against the very thing God created in us, the rhythm that God put in us. Uh, for human beings to actually flourish. He made us to flourish. And uh, he, he made us to be productive, but he also made us to rest. It's also good to note that rest comes first. 
Rest comes first. You see, creation works from a place of rest. We do it the other way around. We, we rest or collapse from work. But we're called to work from a place of rest. So I guess the question is, is do you take a day off? Do you have a day off? Do you have a day where you're not productive? Do you have a day where you intentionally disengage? You switch off your phone, you, you do all those things. And that's a challenge, isn't it? That's, that's really hard in our culture to be someone who does that. And then Jesus just finally says, he says, take my yoke upon you. Take my yoke upon you. Now, many of us will know what a yoke is. It's this thing used, um, placed on an ox, who, and then the ox pulls a burden or a load. And, um, but what is important to ha- add to that is, is that the language that Jesus is u- using here was also used by rabbis, teachers of the law. And they would, they would use this word about taking on their yoke as a, as, as, as a way of talking about the relationship that a rabbi had with his disciples, the, those that followed them. So when a, a person became a disciple of a particular rabbi, it was said that they're taking on his yoke. They're taking on his yoke. They're, they're basically following this rabbi and his teaching, and they're, they're also learning to imitate him and the way he does life. And so when Jesus says, take, your, take my yoke, he's not just using a nice metaphor, but he's, he's actually being really intentional. He says, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and take my yoke. Essentially he's saying, he's saying all of you who have got burdens... <laughs> Bring them to me and have my burden instead. So we're called to be people who follow and pursue Jesus. We're called to be people who want to see his kingdom come in the world. And the, the way we do that is to lay down our burden and take on his. We lay down our burden, we take on his, we take on his by becoming imitators of him. By becoming people who follow after Jesus, who do the things that he did. And we find it so easy, don't we, to yoke ourselves to stuff. We yoke ourselves to achievement. You know, we yoke ourselves to um, our appearance. We, we think our value, our worth, comes from what we look like and, and what we can do to our bodies to, to look better. We, we yoke ourselves to approval. Some of us will go out of our way so that certain people will approve of us. That's hard work, isn't it? That's hard work. Jesus says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. You know, it's important that Jesus said that. It's important because I think sometimes we don't trust Jesus enough to actually do what he's asking us to do. We think it's going to be really hard and he's going to be a hard taskmaster. That isn't the case. He says, I'm gentle and humble and heart. So I just want to finish up by talking about time. In the in the New Testament there are there's two understandings of this word time. Okay? There's the, the, the word uh, chronos, where we get this this idea of chronology chronology. 
where time begins and ends. It, it starts in one place and goes to another. But there's another word for time, which is kairos, uh, which, which has a slightly different meaning to it. It, it. it basically means an experience of time in a moment. Okay, so this idea that we have experiences and they're kairos moments. And you see, the challenge for those of us who are pursuing Jesus and, and, the, and his kingdom purposes in our life is that we need to learn to have kairos in the midst of Kronos. You see, whilst the world is spinning around crazily out of control and, and people are living lives at 300 miles an hour, our task is learning to slow down and having those moments in the midst of all the craziness. So we need to be learning to be people who are experiencing God's presence in the midst of the busyness of, of our world. So I've got a challenge for you this week, okay? And the challenge is this. I want you this week to try and carve out one hour of solitude. Okay, you've got a whole week to do it. I'm not asking you to do it every day. I'm just saying, once this week, carve out just one, one hour of solitude. Some of you won't do that, I know. But what it means is turn off your phone, okay? Turn off your Facebook notifications, closing your laptop, but just taking an hour for the well-being of your soul and then seeing what sort of feedback you get back from Jesus in the midst. And what I want you to do, those of you who are brave enough, I want you to tell me what Jesus says. Okay, you can email me, steve.g at centralvineyard.co.uk. I won't read it because I'll be busy in solitude. Um, but just, what did Jesus say? You set aside one hour, out of all the hours in a week, I set aside one hour of solitude to be in God's presence, to, to have a kairos moment with the Lord. And this is what he said. Can you do that? Henry Nguyen, he said this, many of us are, are, driven, so, uh, are driven, but solitude pokes a hole in our drivenness and helps us to stop uh, for a moment and ask, what is this all for? And we need those moments, don't we? We need those moments to stop. We need moments to just spend time and hear the voice of God, hear him speak to us, hear him say, you're mine, and I'm yours, and I don't, I don't need you to perform for me. I don't need you to act a certain way. I just want us to be together. That's what the Lord longs for. Eugene Peterson, who many of you know, wrote this paraphrased version of the scripture, not the real Bible, um, called The Message. And um, Matthew 11, the, the passage that we've been looking at this morning, he, he says it like this. I think it's just really valuable. He says, Are you tired, worn out, burnt out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take real rest. 
walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy on you or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Should we stand?